When you're acting as your doodle's teacher during training, do you know their learning style? Take our exclusive fun and free quiz to find out at thedoodlepro.com slash learning and make training more fun and successful. I could tell you my 10-year-old would never hit someone, ever. If he was backed into a corner and he felt trapped and threatened, he would. And that has nothing to do with morals or if he's a bad kid, just like it's not a bad dog. So if we are coaching, I talked about kind of the triad that I see of training the child, the dog and management. If we're training the child, what are some things that children do unintentionally that make dogs uncomfortable or feel unsafe? Doodle breed dogs are easy to love, but can be challenging to parent. I'm doodle expert, Corinne Gearhart also known as the Doodle Pro. And I'm here to help Doodle parents have a more fulfilling and rewarding experience with their Doodles. No one has professionally worked with as many different Doodle breeds or has more experience with Doodles than I have. And I love to share my expertise in a fun, compassionate, and non-judgmental way. From my years of work and education in the pet care and dog training industry, I have an incredible network of skilled training, grooming, and veterinary professionals to share their knowledge with you and give you the doodle-specific answers you're looking for. I hope you enjoy today's episode as I help you parent your doodle like a pro. Welcome, guest, to the Doodle Pro interview with parent and dog expert, Michelle Stern. I'm so happy to have her here today. She has been a school teacher and is a certified dog training expert, and I'm thrilled to have her with us today to talk about dog and child safety together. Hello, Michelle. Hi. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. I cannot guarantee that my foster puppies won't cause a stink because they're very tired, but they have bully sticks. So hopefully they'll stay quiet. Wonderful. Fingers crossed. I know I didn't give your background justice. If you can share a bit more for our listeners about your background and what brings you to this point in your career today. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me. I know that doodles are a super common breed that families get when they have kids because they can be so awesome. So I am a mom and I was a teacher for 16 years and I've always loved dogs. They've been a part of my life forever, but it was only about five years ago that I refocused my energy on taking some courses with a mentor that I had when I was younger and I felt like it rekindled the fire and I was at a crossroads. My kids were going off to college and I was ready to do something new. And it just got me so excited that I could help families like mine who had kids and dogs and use my experience as an educator, as my empathy as a mom, Mm -hmm. and then my experience understanding dog behavior and training. And it's kind of a unique mishmash because not a lot of dog trainers really understand family dynamics with children of different ages, stages, neurodiversity, et cetera. And I've lived it all. So. Oh, that's wonderful. I know that you have such a breadth of what you offer. I remember when we were preparing for this interview, I shared, I don't know, a book's worth of questions that our members had for you. And we seem to encounter like three areas in our work with doodles of where people are coming from when they're looking for help 
with their dog and children. The first seems to be that they already have their two-legged children. And often they think that bringing a dog into the home would be a great addition to their family or their children are a little older and have been begging for a dog. The second is that their four-legged family member is their first and they're bringing home their first baby. And the third is some empty nesters or people who don't have children nor are looking to add human children to their family, but they're going to be having grandchildren over or are worried about how to have other people's children interact with their dog Uh and how to make it comfortable and safe for both of them. So with all of those categories, we want to focus on the first. So I hope to have you on for another interview so I could get some more questions answered. But to narrow our focus a little today, I wanted to focus on those doodle parents who already have children at home and either are looking to add a doodle or have and are bumping into some problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have to say, I know that doodles can come up against some hate. You know, there are some haters and whatever. I have met a lot of doodles. I've worked with a lot of doodles because they're so popular. You know, people want a non-shedding dog and they're so cute. I mean, seriously, they're so cute. Um, But I have to say, like, and this is not coming from a place of hate at all. This is just an observation after years of working with them. And in fact, just the other day visited a former client who was like my best client for, I saw them forever. And, and Lulu is a little red. She's a miniature Labradoodle. She's not tiny. She's, you know, like 30 pounds. She was probably the hardest puppy that I've ever worked with. And what I say by hardest, I mean, most energetic. She was the mouthiest puppy I've ever worked with. She's the only puppy I've worked with that's torn multiple items of either my clothing or their clothing. I mean, she was a lot of dog. And what was interesting is these were a couple, they did not have human children Mm -hmm. and they were giving their whole heart and soul to Lulu. And she was a lot. And, And Lulu reduced them to tears multiple times because she just was hard. And so the reason I'm saying this is because I think that people often have an expectation that a dog that they're getting is the dog that they've met that someone else has already had for three or four or five years, right? So they've hit this plateau of like calmness and good manners and all these things, but it takes a lot to get there. And so while doodles are amazing dogs, I just don't think it's fair to tell somebody, okay, you've got kids, get a doodle puppy. Because I think that we may be setting them up just for a misguided experience. I'm not saying it's not going to be great. I'm just saying that any puppy is hard, any breed, no matter what breed you're getting. But I think that a lot of people underestimate the youthful silliness that doodles bring with them. And I love that. I think it's fun. For a lot of families, it's more than they bargained for. So let me give you another example. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you do because this is your thing. So, I mean, my whole approach with families is I want to be totally honest with you because I want your dog to have a successful placement and I want your kids to have a successful experience loving a dog. And I want parents to feel not insane 
and not feel like, what the heck have I just done? I bit off more than I can chew. What the heck was I thinking? I wish I had two heads and four arms and 16 eyeballs so that Uh I could watch everybody at the same time. And I'm not saying that's unique to doodles, but I am saying that it is likely to happen because I've never met like a super chill doodle puppy or adolescent, but that's not a bad thing. It's a fun thing and it's exciting, but you have to be able to divide your attention and conquer. Like you need to be good at at multitasking and Mm -hmm. management and setting up systems so that I know my toddler is busy doing this activity over here. And I know that they're in a safe zone so that my doodle can't go steal their shoes and their art supplies and their Legos so that I can focus on making breakfast, right? So how are you going to manage your space so that the dog doesn't make mistakes and drive you nuts? Mm -hmm. How are you going to set up space so your kid feels safe and loves the dog, right? And how are you going to manage your sanity because parenting kids and dogs at the same time is just really hard. So I feel kind of guilty because I'm starting this on, it feels kind of like a downer note, but I just want you to go in like knowing, like yes, kids, when you have kids and they're asking for a dog, First of all, kids change their mind all the time. And maybe they like the idea of a mellow dog or a stuffed animal dog or Mm -hmm. like a dog that's nice and easy all the time. But it's you. You're the one who has to parent this dog. Like, don't do it unless you really want a dog. I don't care how much your kids beg for it because they're going to get interested in Minecraft and other things and not, and lose focus. I mean, some kids, it's the rare child that maintains that level of passion and will help you, but really only do this. If this is what you want, you want a dog and you're good at multitasking and you can handle it. Right. So I have a client, she saw me before she got her dog and she was getting, this was a Bernadoodle and it was 11 months old and already like 80 pounds, like huge dog. And it lived with a family before where the child wasn't nice to the dog. And so the dog had distrust of children. Mm -hmm. And so my client, I was so excited because she reached out to me before she got the dog and we talked about some of this stuff, but I feel like I didn't do her what I'm doing right now. I don't think I was as honest as like, it's not that I wasn't honest. I think I just wasn't as clear to help her really identify are you ready? Right. She thought she was ready. And in three days she decided she wasn't ready. And she was like, I can't do it. Right. And it's totally okay. And I had to validate like, okay, here's the thing. Some parents have zero tolerance of risk. And if your child is afraid of this giant dog who isn't sure about kids, that's okay. And we're going to find this dog. Somebody else can help find this dog, maybe a family without kids where it feels safer, or maybe somebody who has older kids who aren't so nervous or who mm-hmm. feel confident. But I'm never going to judge a parent for thinking, oh my God, this is way more than I can handle. But on the other hand, I wish I did a better job saying to her, listen, this is going to be really hard and it can take a few weeks For this dog to understand that it's in a new home and that you're going to keep it safe and that your five-year-old is not the same as the five-year-old in the other house. Your five-year-old is sensitive and sweet and isn't going to kick the dog the way that the other five-year-old did, right? So I just, it's such a hard thing where I want to give everybody so much love and support, but I also feel like I'd rather just say to you from the get-go, like, this might be harder than you think. And if you're really down, then let's go, let's rumble and let me help you come up 
plan and we'll do all the things together and I'll help you and I'll help you with games and activities. And I have a membership like you do. So, you know, we can get ongoing support and learn about body language so that your kids feel safe, your dogs feel safe, all of it. But we really have to know, like, are you ready? This is a big deal. And I think that's incredibly validating. Doodles right now are the first family dog choice often. And people will save up to afford their doodle. They're selecting them from a breeder. They're picking, do I want the tricolor or the red, et cetera. And when you pay that premium price, you kind of expect a perfect being. And doodles have a longer puppyhood than a lot of other breeds. So this is really validating if somebody's listening at home and this is hard, that you're going through something normal. And Michelle, I can imagine that people, as you're a specialist that helps with resolving some of the safety conflicts or issues, that people often are self-selecting coming to you. So you're hearing those who are having the most frustration. I think you're right. Yeah. So people who are having difficulties, please feel validated by Michelle. You're not the only one. This is really challenging. And we see a lot of doodle rehomes at adolescence, which happens in general with dogs. But with the extended puppyhood, we see it a lot. So you'll see when a doodle's being shared to be rehomed, they'll say no young children or no children at all, et cetera. And that's where that's coming from. So if someone wants to be proactive, they get that this is, they are going to be the one doing the work and they hope their child finds it rewarding, even if they don't do the chores and pick up the poop in the yard like they expect. One of the questions that I thought was really crucial to start with is explaining to parents and children together what sort of body language is a dog using to show you, because they can't talk to us, that they're uncomfortable and that things might be getting unsafe? I love this question. Body language just gets me all excited. You know, I'm like, oh my God, I feel like I have this secret key that I can unlock these mysteries for people. Oh my gosh, did you realize that your dog talks to you? So it's pretty exciting. There's a few things, and I want to just point out maybe three or four that are blinking beacons of indication to you that something is going on, that your dog isn't super just soft and relaxed and happy. Now, before I tell you what those look like, I want to give you some clues as to when you might even see these kinds of behaviors, right? So the dog may start to give you body language cues when, let's say your toddler's having a tantrum because they're loud and they're a little annoying. Let's be frank. I mean, I love toddlers. I think they're hilarious the same way that I like adolescent dogs. I think they're hilarious. But I also was a high school teacher. So obviously I like interesting things. What is really interesting is if your toddler is having a real hard time, they're not quiet about it. And also when a toddler is really happy, they're not quiet about it. And that could be that they're banging on a drum. It could be that they're singing a song really loud or it goes quiet and then it gets loud. So it feels like it's very unpredictable. Or maybe they're learning to walk and they're pushing a toy that's blinking and flashing lights and things like that, right? It could be that your baby is in a swing 
and some doodles, you know, depending, is it an Aussie doodle? Is it a Bernadoodle? Is it a dog that has sensitivity to motion? Mm -hmm. These dogs may get really stimulated and worried or excited by the motion of a baby in a swing. So that's another example of something where we just really have to look out because the last thing we want is for your baby to be bait for your dog to go play a chase game. Right. Yes. It's obviously not out of any maliciousness in that case. It's just literally the dog is doing what it has been bred to do for hundreds of generations, which is I got to keep things in their place and I want to put them where I want to put them. And a swing is very weird because you can't put it anywhere because it won't stop moving and it can get some dogs just a little upset. So other things that can get a dog really nervous If your child has a play date, maybe the visiting child or children is not super familiar with dogs, or maybe they have their own dogs that behave differently than your dog does. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're running around crazy and your dog is like, okay, that's just too much. That's more noise than I want to put up with right now. Or maybe that other child is wearing like a cape, you know, kids dress up or maybe, you know, your dog is just not comfortable with. Okay. So all these circumstances aside. What can your dog do to tell you they're uncomfortable? Well, one sign is that they start to yawn and they're not Mm -hmm. yawning right when they woke up or right when it's time for bed. The yawn seems to come out of nowhere. Okay. And that's a release of stress. We do it too. And what I want you to do is your first little homework assignment, everybody, is when your dog yawns, all I want you to do is just take a quick inventory. Just pause and think, huh. What is going on around me that might be causing my dog some discomfort? And it could be nothing, but it could be there's a siren going down the street. It could be like in my case, lately, we've had these murders of crows coming down to my bird bath and they, they make a racket, right? And so my yeah. dog gets real excited about that and wants to chase them, but he might yawn first before he decides to go chase. Mm-hmm. So I want you to just pause and look around you and think, okay, what's going on? Oh, there's a new noisy toy. Interesting. And then we need to take some action. And what we need to do is we need to tell the dog, I see you. I see that Mm -hmm. something made you nervous. And I'm either, you have two choices here. I'm either going to move you further away from the trigger, right? The trigger's the thing that made the dog yawn. Or I'm going to move the thing that made you nervous further away from you. And the dog will begin to build this really beautiful level of trust with you because you're going to say to your dog, it's sort of this contract where you're like, I see the thing. I see you're nervous. I'm going to do something about it. You don't have to do something about it. That's my job as the adult in the room. It is not your job as the dog. Sit and stay right there. We'll be back right after this quick break. Dog's body language is a foreign language to us humans. Are you wondering how fluent you are? Take our free quiz at thedoodlepro.com slash body and find out how fluent you are in reading dog's body language. Do you want your doodle to listen the first time? When we're asking difficult things of our doodles, we need to pay them accordingly. We've had hundreds of doodles taste test different treats, and we've got a great list of their favorites. Go to thedoodlepro.com backslash treat 
freebie for our free list of Doodle's favorite treats so you can get your Doodle to listen the first time. So the dog should not approach the thing and say, get out of here. That's where we get into some danger zones is these dogs feel like it's their responsibility because we are not stepping up and doing our job as the parent, right? Mm-hmm. And so what we need to do is say to our dog, and I talk to my dogs all the time. I'm like, oh, something made you nervous. Let me take care of that. I'll fix that for you, right? Okay. Yeah. Yawning is one example. Another example is you start to see the whites around their eyes where they look mm-hmm. really surprised. Exactly. And you can yeah. really see the whites. And usually it's they start to look away and you can really see that. We call that whale eye in dog language, right? Whale eye, whatever. I don't know why, but that's what we call it. If you start to see the whites of their eyes, something alarming is generally going on. Another one is lip licking. So that's not because you have a smelly sandwich or snack that they want. They could be hungry, but generally it's like the yawn. It's something is going on near them that makes them uncomfortable. Now, this is very common if the toddler runs past too close to the dog. Mm -hmm. The dog starts licking their lips and you look and you're like, oh, you little stinker, you're playing your game too close to the dog. Let's get you over here and let's play over here instead, right? Yes. No. One thing that really is helpful in these circumstances when we are responding to these body language cues is that we need to do it in a really happy way. Because if we run over and we're like, no, 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 to our kid, Mm -hmm. the dog, then the dog realizes they actually have something to be worried about. So we have to do it the opposite. We have to like fake it. We have to be all nice and sweet, even if we're screaming inside and we have to be like, oh no, let's not play here. Let's play over here and slap a smile on our face, even if we don't mean it because our dog is watching. And if I'm really nervous, my dog is going to think, oh, little Sally is someone to be nervous of. Like she's not safe around me. I should worry more right? And vice versa. If the dog starts to play too close to where the kid is building their Jenga tower, don't knock over the kid's thing, right? The kids are going to think the dog is something to worry about, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe a doodle tail is going to knock over your beautiful tower, obviously, but that's not dangerous. It's just annoying. And we don't want the kids to be devastated and sad. So we want to set up these different layers of protection so that Mm -hmm. kids aren't dreading the dog. Oh God, here he comes again. He's going to ruin all my toys and he's going to get, pick him up in his mouth because that doodles like to carry stuff and, or whatever his tail is going to be the wrath of doom or whatever for (laughs) Lego creation or whatever it is. So I think I answered your question with a lot of extras. Oh, those are all great. And I imagine on your last point, tell me if this is correct, that if a child is doing behavior that's uncomfortable to the dog and you reach in and like, no, I told you not to do X with the dog, that scolding of the child could be received from the dog as scolding of them and create a conditioned emotional response. It can be, but I think one of the ways that I'm unique in the work that I do is that I understand more child development than the average dog trainer, right? So when you are frustrated and you just are at the end of your rope and you open up Google and you're like, who's a local dog trainer near me? They might be great, but they really are unlikely to really understand what you're living with and what you're coping with. And they may really not have that level of experience to have someone, you know, I see all my clients online. So I see people all over the world. And when somebody comes to me, I can say, okay, 
you still have another year or two before your child can understand multi-step directions. And then that sets an expectation, right? To tell them you're mad at your kid because you've told them a hundred times, but a child at this age is developmentally incapable of processing what you're saying. And it's Mm -hmm. not because they don't want to, they really want to, they're trying so hard. You have such a great kid, but they can't, it's in and out. It's like water just off a duck. It just goes. And it's not because you have a bad kid and dogs have similar developmental stages. It takes repetition over and over, but it also takes brain development, right? So you can't Mm -hmm. have these wacky expectations that your six month old is not going to pull your doodles fur. So in that sense, what are we going to do to prevent them from pulling your doodles for mm-hmm. you? You can't just say, well, I told him not to do it and he kept doing it. And then my dog bit him. Well, I'm sorry. Your child shouldn't have had their hand near your doodle enough that they could have grabbed the fur and gotten themselves bitten in the first place. And that's so hard to hear, but yeah. you need to hear it because we have to set you up for success because I'm going to tell you a dog who's bitten a child has a really hard time getting rehomed. Yes. I mean, there are lots of adults who want doodles and that's fine. But depending on the severity of a bite, a dog that does damage to a child doesn't always get to stay alive. And as you say, they have a shorter lifespan. It sounds very depressing, but it's taken me a long time to just tell people the truth because I don't want to disappoint them. I've learned and I've seen so many times dogs make mistakes that sometimes cause plastic surgery as a requirement or whatever else. Mm -hmm. And they don't mean to but we could have prevented it. So we need to learn what are some steps that we can do to keep everybody safe, right? And sometimes that means you need ongoing support. It means you need a community or a group or somewhere where you just check in every once in a while, where you have access to me or other parents. And you're like, oh my God, what's the best playpen to use? And here's some activities that I gave my dog to do so that I could play Lego on the floor with my kids or whatever. You're not alone, but I think that it feels like that because social media, look at my perfect family and look at my perfect dog. And they're never going to admit the scary stuff. They're never going to tell you that their dog growled at their kid. They're never going to tell you that their toddler or their kid got out of bed in the middle of the night and accidentally stepped on the dog's tail who was in the hallway. Like, because that's embarrassing. It shouldn't have happened but it's embarrassing. And then people are like, I don't know what to do. And I can't talk to anybody about it because who knows that kind of stuff. And I love that about your background, Michelle, because I too have a background in education and especially special ed. And my perspective is that it has three areas, working with the dog, training the dog, training the child and management. Either of those other two aren't developmentally ready or fall through as they inevitably do. I've found a lot of dog trainers who say they get into dog training because they don't like people. They like dogs and they feel like they speak dog. Yeah. And so when you're working with the child element, which is so crucial of this, finding a positive reinforcement, a certified dog trainer that understands some development is extra important in this area. It is. I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, In order to make any progress with any family, regardless of what your challenge is with your dog, whatever is the reason you picked up the phone and asked for help or filled out a form, Mm -hmm. if the person you're working with doesn't have the people skills, you're the one who's writing the check. You're the one who's paying. The adult in the room is the one that you have to connect with. And if you can't connect with them and help them to understand 
the stakes that are involved and how it's going to be okay. And sometimes we cry together and whatever, but if you don't feel safe talking to the trainer as Mm -hmm. the parent, no progress is going to happen because there are dog professionals that make you feel guilty. And there are dog professionals that shame you for not doing your homework. I am very much of the mindset of like, your kids come first. Obviously your dog is up there because your dog is like a kid, but safety of everybody is super important. Mm -hmm. But if you, the parent are too stressed, too overwhelmed, feeling unable to cope, then without that, without you being intact emotionally, spiritually with mindfulness or whatever, I'm not a woo woo person, but I fully understand like you have to feel capable of functioning. If I'm not going to take care of you first, then nothing else is going to change. Right. Yes. And so there are people who they joke, they're like, just tell people not to have children and then the dogs will be fine. And I'm like, come on, people have kids. Like let's meet people where they're at. They've got kids. They love their kids. I love my kids and I love my dogs. And the relationship can be so beautiful and so rewarding. It can, but you've got to set it up right right? You Mm -hmm. have to set it up right. And the risk that you face too, is that you have to have this healthy attitude of, I would rather you be overly cautious and be pleasantly surprised than the other way around. Because I think that most parents approach all of this with a hope for the best attitude, Mm -hmm. and that's not going to keep anybody safe. Hoping for the best usually results in a problem because it means you don't understand your dog's body language, for example. Yes. Just hoping because when you were a kid, things were fine. When I was a kid, we didn't have car seats. I'm old, right? So my mom tells us stories of like way back when, when they had these things called car beds where they would lay the kid down in the back of the station wagon, just because things were fine and you got lucky doesn't mean that you can't do better. And we often have a fuzzy recollection of the adult dog. Totally. It was perfect. It was a perfect dog. And you're like, oh, I forgot the times he used to run away or the times that he used to chase the mailman or the times he went after the handyman who came to fix the toilet. Or you're like, oh my God, it's not all perfection. But I really do think that we have to start by supporting the parent because the parent is the glue that holds everybody together. If you have kids and you're thinking about getting a dog, I love it. And what I love even more is that you know, we have you or me or anyone else on your team ahead of time. That's like Mm -hmm. the dream is that you're proactive and you're like, okay, so let's say you've narrowed it down to a doodle, whatever kind of doodle, there's a million of them. You've narrowed it down to a doodle, but then there's still individualities within that, right? I just spent a whole day with two breeders and it was so interesting because we were talking about what I want in a dog versus what would a sports dog enthusiast, like somebody who does agility or something, what do they want in a dog? Right. And I told him, I said, listen, first and foremost, I want a nice housemate. I want a nice, calm. I mean, not calm all the time, obviously, but like, I want a dog who I'm going to like living with first of all. And I want a dog who's going to greet my parents and be happy to see people. Cause I like to do therapy work with my dog. Do I need a dog who goes all day? No, thank you. That's not what I'm looking for, right? So within a litter even, your breeder is going to look at each dog and they're also going to look at each family and say, okay, family A goes backpacking and camping and whatever. They need a different dog than family B who does movie night and game night and they're home. 
which is not to say there's anything wrong with either of those choices. There are dogs appropriate for either of those families, but it's figuring out what you need specifically. Maybe you don't have a huge budget. So what we need to do is maybe you don't get the non-shedding coat because that takes a lot more grooming, right? A lot more grooming. Maybe it's okay if they shed a little bit to get the personality you're looking for. And maybe you end up like, I know somebody who has a golden doodle that literally looks like a golden retriever. Yeah. Totally flat coated. I was like, what? And it was like, I mean, literally, yes. and I know it has doodle, it has poodle in it, but you don't see that. But the dog has a lot of doodle tendencies, which is super cool. But that dog is going to take less financial resources for the grooming aspect, right? So you need to be very honest. How much investment? Because my parents, I am telling you, they spend more than $100, like 150 bucks every four weeks on each yep. of their two standards. That's what I spent on my late standard. Yes. And I'm like, oh yeah. I mean, could I afford it if I had to? Maybe. Do I want to? No. But some people don't mind. Their dogs are gorgeous. They never get mats. They're taking really good care of them. But that comes at a financial cost. And you raise an excellent point with the breeder piece. Sometimes breeders here, so people will say, yeah, we have young kids. We're really active. A pet peeve of mine. What does active mean? Does it mean that you guys are going to soccer games all of the time on the weekends and your kids are running around in the house a lot? And if you go hiking a lot, is that on every other Saturday? Because a true working dog needs a job every day and hurting your children isn't the job you want to give them. So we get a lot of families where the breeder herd, they have young kids and they're really active. Being sedentary versus being working dog active is really different. Well, and I love that you said that because the parents feel active because they're shuttling everybody around. But going to a soccer game is really, first of all, it's overstimulating from an emotional perspective for the dog because they're watching everyone run and scream and they don't get to do it. And they're stuck sitting on the sidelines having to be still, which often leads to a frustrated dog who's barking and lunging and acting out. It's not satisfying for that dog yeah. to not be able to execute, like to be able to run and chase the ball with the kids. Like that's what, probably what they want to do. And so in those cases, it may be better for you to leave your dog at home, which mm-hmm. again, sedentary, right? You're not actually, so you feel active because you, the parent, right, you're busy all over the place. You're busy, busy and active are not the same thing. I love that you pointed that out. That's a really important distinction. Thank you. I have another question for you. As I specialize with just doodles, I get to see what the trends are with breeds and popularity and Australian shepherd mixes, Aussie doodles and sheepdog mixes, sheepa doodles are really like the new it doodles. And people know, yeah, they're working dogs and they work with sheep or herding dogs. Can you help us make the connection of what a herding dog means with active children? I love this question. This is so good. I think it's so important to distinguish behavior and appearance, right? Mm-hmm. I think the reason people love sheepadoodles, Aussie doodles, and, and Bernadoodles, which are very popular where I am, yes. is because they are so cute. 
you have a better chance of getting multicolored coat, a party coat, than you do with a Labradoodle, for example, which is possible, but party poodles aren't the most common dogs. So to get that multicolored coat pattern in a Labradoodle or a Golden Doodle is less likely than if you breed an Aussie Doodle. Aussies come in a million different colors, right? Gorgeous. Yeah. They're so cute. Yeah. But- with that cute comes behavior, right? Because a coat color is just one aspect. It's the least important, even though your heart may be like, oh, but I really like this. It's huge when it comes to behavior, right? So an Aussie is a working dog. They move sheep around, generally sheep. It could be other livestock, typically Mm -hmm. not cattle. They would be cattle dogs for that, which God, please don't breed cattle dogs with poodles. Knock on wood. I haven't seen that. So no, just cattle dogs and kids are really hard because cattle dogs have such a harder bite than other Aussies and border collies. Sheep dogs and Australian shepherds, we sometimes call them the fun police because their job, their whole purpose of being is to control who goes where, right? That's what they're bred to do. I need to contain these sheep. If somebody runs off, I need to bring them back. Okay. Now imagine, let's say you have multiple children. They're running around. They're moving around. You have play dates. Their kids are over. When more kids are around, there's more chaos, a lot of momentum and movement. Some of these dogs have a really hard time with that. So they watch, they come around, they try to bring you back. And how do they do that? By nipping at your feet, your ankles, the backs of like your calves, which can be really hard. This is the summer. So we're likely to get teeth on skin because you're wearing shorts or flip-flops. So your Achilles tendon is available, which is really painful if it gets bitten. The dogs are not being mean. They're doing their job, right? And so what we need to do is we need to help the dog understand, first of all, I am the one in charge of the kids. The kids are my responsibility. They're not your responsibility. So then what we have to do is give the dog its own responsibility, I want you to do this other job instead. So maybe you teach them. There's this new popular game. It's called tribal, which is essentially called urban herding. And what it is, is you can teach your dog to move balls into the goal. It's almost like soccer, but for dogs and use these big balls that kind of look like yoga balls, sort of. Yeah. You can essentially teach the dogs to move the balls around a space and get them into a targeted zone. Now that would be a constructive use of the energy that those dogs have that you don't want them putting that energy on your children, right? So giving them another job instead, okay? There are some people who are blessed to live in areas where there are actually places you can go and teach your dog to actually herd animals like sheep. That's so cool. It's not something that I have available to me, but there are places that do that and let you and give your dog a natural outlet for what they are bred to do. If you can find something like that, please think about doing it because by giving your dog a real appropriate outlet for what they were bred to do, it is going to pay dividends later because you're going to have a calmer dog at home. It's going to feel satiated like, oh, I did the thing. Now I can focus on my family and just be social, right? Sometimes we need management and we need to say, okay, kids, you're going to play tag and be running around crazy and having a great time or you want to play in the sprinklers. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have the dog with me in the in the kitchen where I can see you through the window. Yeah. And you guys are going to be outside and the dog is going to be in with me. 
because then the dog can't chase the kids or vice versa. I'm going to be playing with the dog in the yard. You guys play run around crazy in the house. Now, if you have really little kids, you can't leave the kids unsupervised. So this is where when you very first get your dog, if we teach your dog that normal means that sometimes we hang out in a crate, in a pen, in a bedroom, a safe room with the door closed in a zone, you have your own zone, whatever that looks like to you, then the dog can learn to chill in their zone while family chaos is happening. But mm-hmm. the zone is is not Siberia. It's not, you're there all the time. I'm not telling you your dogs and kids can never be together. Some people are like, you're breaking my heart, Michelle. Like, I didn't get a dog to have it always be separate. And I'm not saying it always has to be separate. I'm mm-hmm. saying you need to prevent accidents. And so sometimes we need to manage that. Sometimes it means leashing the dog to your belt loop and you just know where your dog is because it's literally attached to you. And yep. the kids can still play near you, but your dog can't go chase them. And then when the dog makes a good choice and is calm, then we reward the calmness, right? Because dogs do what they practice. They repeat what they mm-hmm. practice. And so if we can reward good behavior, we get more good behavior. So I love that you asked that question because we need to remember that a huge component of who your dog is, is what their genetic input is. And you, mm-hmm. no matter if you're just thinking, oh, science doesn't matter. I'm sorry. You're wrong. It does. It matters. And the dog that you chose because it's cute because of its coat pattern, it got its coat pattern because they bred a herding dog into it. You're mm-hmm. going to get herding dog behaviors. You don't only get the coat color. You get other things that come with it, right? So sometimes we see that in Labradors or even in Red Poodles. There tends to be a higher level of energy in labs that are more red than yellow because Mm -hmm. those come from hunting lines. Those are working line dogs. And that color is more prominent in working line dogs. That is not the same as the couch potato dogs, right? Right. So you're going to see patterns of behavior that are connected to physical appearance. So you may need to tease apart, like, I really love this coat pattern, but I don't want somebody who's going to cause chaos and hurt my children. Then maybe you can find a party poodle mixed with a Labrador or Golden Retriever and mm-hmm. still get a cute coat color, but not have the hurting tendencies quite as much. And the genetics piece comes in as well with the Goldens as the fielding Goldens are more working line, higher energy. And you're, so reds are the most popular color for doodles. There are a lot of breeders that just do reds. And if I had my druthers, I would have a small red doodle named Archie <laughs> as I was obsessed with Archie comics when I was little, but that is all about appearance. And if that fits into my life and into our family life is a different story. So that's why I have my black lap dog, <laughs> Nestle. Yeah. And while we're being kind of the fun police And we're talking about genetics. One thing struck me that you had said. So I have a wonderful client. She's got the best heart. This is their first family dog. And their sweet little Bernadoodle, we were talking about some reactivity. And she said, well, I mean, he couldn't bite because Bernadoodles don't bite. And they look like little teddy bears. Like they do look like not even an animal sometimes. I always say if they have a jaw, they can bite. Do you have anything you want to add with that? No, I I think it's really just so important. Here's what I hear a lot. My dog would never. My dog 
would never hurt a fly. My dog would never bite my kid. You're wrong. And I'm sorry. And your dog doesn't want to. No dog wants to bite, but they bite out of fear or out of surprise or out of pain or out of any number of things, overstimulation, right? Any mm-hmm. dog, even like a toothless chihuahua can bite you. That I We always used to say if it has teeth, it can bite, but I, you know, there are toothless dogs. I like that you said if it has a jaw, it can bite because I think that's a more accurate statement. And it's really hard to imagine that something that is so deliciously adorable can bite and cause damage, but it can. And I could tell you my 10-year-old would never hit someone ever. If he was backed into a corner and he felt trapped and threatened, he would. And that has nothing to do with morals or if he's a bad kid, just like it's not a bad dog. So if we are coaching, I talked about kind of the triad that I see of training the child, the dog and management. If we're training the child, what are some things that children do unintentionally that make dogs uncomfortable or feel unsafe? I think one of the biggest challenges with kids is that naturally they want to hug and snuggle dogs. Yes. And especially doodles, because they look like stuffed animals. Right. I mean, let's be honest. They are cute. They are so cute. And the floofy ones really just look like toys. And so we have to understand that humans express love and emotion differently than dogs do. So we get up in there and we're like, oh, God, I love you. You know, and I it took me a long time to stop nibbling my daughter. Let's just be honest. Like, you know, where you're just like, oh, she's delicious. Yes. <laughs> And dogs can't say with words, don't bite me anymore, don't nibble me, or don't get up in my face, but they will start to yawn, lick, lip, lick, or move away, or they'll be like, I don't like that. Stop it. Mm -hmm. And so the problem is, is we hug each other and we kiss each other. And that's how we express love to our family members and good friends or whatever. And we're modeling that with our babies for their whole life. We we're snuggling them and hugging them. And I love you so much and kissing their tummies and all that stuff. But then they think that that's how we express love to things. And then they want to give your dog a kiss on their tummy. And oh my gosh, like that's such a bad idea. So, you know, oftentimes we model for kids. Sometimes I'll even, they're called Melissa and Doug and they make educational toys. I have a big stuffed toy that looks like a, a real dog. And I use it with you have the lab or which one did you get? I have the lab. I have the yellow yes. lab, but my current foster puppies are blind. So they have no idea it's actually a dog, but I've worked with other dogs that can see it. And they're like, what the heck? But my point is, is that Melissa and Doug makes these dogs of all different sizes. And so sometimes I like to encourage families to get a dog for their child and we practice what's appropriate. Right. And we, you know, we practice petting it appropriately. We don't hug it. We don't squeeze it. We don't sit on it. God forbid, like do not sit on the dog because those are muscle memory. And the thing you do with this stuffed dog, because it looks very real, that's going to be integrated into your muscle memory of what you're going to do with your real dog. Now, if you want to give them something to love and snuggle and kiss, Make it look as opposite your dog as possible, right? Get one of those giant, like sometimes Costco has like these big bear, like beanbag things. Like get one of those or get something that's completely the opposite color of something different than your dog, a stuffed bunny or whatever. They can hug that. They can kiss that. They can snuggle that in their bed, right? They can Mm -hmm. do all the lovey snuggly things with that but not with the dog and not with the toy that looks like the dog, right? We have to start to practice what looks different. So I think the main thing, 
is that we just touch them too much. And kids, they'll want to lean against the dog or always have their hand on the dog. We're watching a TV show and we're always petting the dog and the dog's like, stop. And especially for kids that like that soft texture that doodles often come with, right? Is that they want their hands in that fur. And if you've got a kid who's neurodivergent or who's on the spectrum, fur, hair, whatever can go either way. For some of them, they don't want to touch it. And for some of them, they want to touch it all the time. So we just have to be really aware of that because it's very possible that, you know, a lot of doodles have so many issues being groomed because they have sensitive skin or whatever it is. And if we're constantly tugging on their coat to try to keep their coat clear, if your kid is also constantly touching them, they just really have a hard time teasing apart. Like, is this grooming? Is this affection? I just don't want my body touched. And so with doodles, learning all that consensual contact is really important. And our kids have to really kind of learn what consent looks like. Yes, my dog is interested. No, my dog is not interested. What does that look like? When do I stop? And what do I do instead with my body? What's your rule for when a dog is sleeping? What you tell children? No touch, no touch, no approach, no touch. Yeah, if the dog is sleeping, totally off limits. And in fact, I have a reward chart. I have a free one somewhere on my website. You could probably type, I think it's on a blog post and type in reward chart. And one of the things, it's like a super chart. One of the things is I let my dog sleep in peace. And so throughout the week, you can give your child stickers or stamps or whatever on the reward chart for multiple times in a row of leaving the dog alone when they're resting. That's fantastic. And that really helps the younger developmental ages with kids. It really does. Again, kids repeat what they practice, dogs repeat what they practice. So we see the dog sleeping, we can use that as an opportunity. You understand education with kids. It's constant language acquisition of like, oh, Fluffy's asleep. We're going to leave him alone. Or for older kids, sometimes I'll, (laughs) that's funny. I'll use like blue painter's tape because it doesn't leave a mark on the floor and I'll make a zone around the dog. And I'll tell them that it's hot lava and they can't cross the hot lava, right? And so we'll be like, oh, can't cross the hot lava. That's fluffy sleeping zone. You know, we don't go in there. And because a lot of kids need visual cues Mm -hmm. as well as auditory cues. It depends how your kids learn. So, you know, we like to show them. Sometimes I have kids decorate stop signs that are near the dog's bed. And so if they most kids recognize what a stop sign looks like. And so if you decorate the stop sign and put paw prints on it or whatever, and then we put it near where the dog is sleeping, we can then practice language like, oh, what does the stop sign mean? You know, how are we going to respect the stop sign? Or what should we do with our bodies when we see the stop sign out? You don't leave it out all the time, right? You just, the dog's asleep. You put the sign out and it's like, oh, I see the stop sign. What are we going to do? Puppy's asleep. So stuff like that. And your guidance when a dog is enjoying their meal or a treat or a bone. Same. Stay away. Mm-hmm. Let them enjoy it in peace. I mean, you all hate when a waiter comes and is like, can I take your plate? Can I take your plate? Yes. Like, let me enjoy my food. I'm paying good money for this. Thank you very much. Right? Yes. So leave them alone. If they... Because pop I, culture I, says that you should put your hand in a lot and train them or have the child no, take it away. No, no. God, no. God, no. Yes recipe for disaster. No way. No. We eventually, later on, we teach trading. These days, I have to say, there's something going on with golden retrievers. Golden retrievers are experiencing higher levels of resource guarding and growls and bites to kids than I've ever seen. 
and people are following really bad advice and dangerous advice. And so it, first of all, it's never the child's responsibility to train a dog to tolerate anything. Tolerance is way too low of a bar. It's the adult's job to do any of that stuff. And if we ever have to take something from a dog, we need to give them something better. And often then we give them back the thing to show them like, it's cool. I'm no threat. Like this is cool, but I don't want kids ever involved in any of that kind of training. It's not safe. I completely agree. So we uh, take care of doodles in my home with a 10 and a 13 year old. And they know if a dog has something that isn't allowed, mom, call they need to mom. trade yes. and they call mom. Yes. Our final question I think is really important for families with kids of all ages, zero to 18 and on. Should we punish a dog for growling or snarling at someone else? That's if they're feeling unsafe, et cetera. If they're showing others other signs, if they get to a growl, do we punish that? Yeah, that's such a good question. You know, your first instinct is to freak out Mm -hmm. if the dog is growling and to be like, knock it off, right? Well, you know, if we punish the growl, we really risk that the dog stops communicating with us. And the growl usually comes after all the other stuff we talked about, right? They don't usually growl out of nowhere. They start with other signs. And if we're really watching, your dog shouldn't ever growl. And if your dog does growl, then we miss something and it's okay. So easy to miss. I mean, not blaming you. I'm just saying you probably missed something. And if they're growling, then we need to say, whoa, I'm so sorry. Come on, kiddo. Let's get out of the way. The dog's upset and let the dog work out whatever it needs to work out. But you need to get kids out of the way. If you punish the growl, then the risk is that the dog just bites next time without the growl. And then Mm -hmm. I get the call that says he bit out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I didn't see it coming. And there are unusual circumstances where you don't see it coming, where it did Mm -hmm. out of nowhere. But those are usually with an underlying medical condition, a neurological problem, a chemical imbalance. There are some dogs that are off that aren't right. It could happen, but that's so much the minority, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the most common thing is we've, somebody's pissed the dog off and we need to realize that your kid did something. Or you did something, right? You didn't listen to your dog. I have another free checklist called Why Did My Dog Growl at My Toddler? Right. And it's literally a checklist. Did your kid do this? Did your kid do this? And it's not blaming in any way. It's not like a shame and blame worksheet. It's literally, oh my God, that was terrifying. I never want that Mm -hmm. to happen again. What are some things I should look out for? And I have to accept some responsibility that. I or my kid did something that upset my dog and that's okay because Mm -hmm. you know the better you're going to do, right? And you just won't repeat those kinds of things before. Thank you, Michelle. I want to know for people listening on our podcast, I know that you have a freebie gift for them. I do. And I don't remember which one, which one did I tell you I was going to get? That's okay. I think the toddler one sounds wonderful. Okay. Yes. Do you remember where they could find that? I can give you a gist. So my website is Pooch Parenting, poochparenting.net. And it's one of my most popular blog articles. So if you go to the free resources section, it Mm -hmm. may even be pinned to the top. Otherwise, there's a search bar and you can type 
growl at toddler and I guarantee it'll pop up. And all you have to do is type in your name and email address and it'll send it right over to you. Awesome. So you mentioned your website. Please mention it again. If people want to follow you for more advice, where can they find you? Thank you. So my website is Pooch Parenting. So it's poochparenting.net. I'm also Pooch Parenting on Facebook and Instagram. I'm kind of lame at Instagram though, true confession. So Facebook is more my jam, but my website has all of that. I also have a podcast called the Pooch Parenting Podcast. Sometimes I interview experts on parenting and dogs, not together. Some parenting experts, some dog experts. Sometimes it's just me, but I've done some great episodes about car safety with kids and dogs, some things Mm -hmm. that you have never thought about on barking and nap time and things of that nature. So there's all kinds of stuff. It's the only podcast that I know of that's out there that is really specific to families with kids and dogs and just living the life, like honest, real talk. And I really enjoyed listening to it myself. I just was listening to your episode where you kind of dissected a controversial Facebook post with the mom visiting her in-laws. Oh, I'm so glad. Yes. I love that it's science-based and it starts with a place of empathy and understanding for all. Yeah. There's so much emotion when you're a parent. You feel guilty all the time. Like you feel mom guilt, you feel dog mom guilt. You wish you could do better. Maybe your in-laws drive you crazy. Like the podcast episode you're talking about, I just released this week was like conflict between a woman and her in-laws. And she Mm -hmm. had expectations of what the in-laws would do with their dog. And they had a different set of expectations. And so I broke it down from everyone's perspective. What is an appropriate fair expectation from the mom's perspective? the grandparents' perspective, the dog's perspective, and the baby's perspective. Like, how should you approach these kinds of situations, right? Because we all have family members, whether we want to or not. I mean, let's be real. Sometimes there's a not always harmony there. So yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Michelle. Thanks for having me. It was an honor. I loved it. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Doodle Pro Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And I invite you to follow me on Instagram at thedoodlepro for behind the scenes peeks at all of the adorable doodles I work with daily.